past. Well, I feel like we just like got out of the ways, man. That's also because that was fucking scary. Do y'all remember that song, Move, Bitch, Get Out the Ways? <laughs> I did not realize that it was about this until we watched it. Yeah. Hey, everybody. This is the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show, a podcast that talks about the Wheel of Time television series on Amazon Prime. We just finished season one, episode seven, which was called The Dark Along the Ways. And it was pretty fucking awesome in Garrett's opinion. How does everybody else feel about it? I thought it was super hot. Super hot. I thought it definitely had some of the best moments of the season so far. So we are here to get into it. Thank you, listener, for being here and checking out the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show or... Twats on Twats! So let's go ahead and talk about this episode. But before we do that, where should we go to mm. make sure that we're really in the mood? Faye, I can't remember if I said this last time or if I cut it out. I probably cut it out. But thank you for reminding me about this because we talk about it before we record. And then when we're in the middle of it, we forget to set it up. So <laughs> I immediately I forget you. that we're supposed to be somewhere in this fictional world. Yes, I appreciate you teeing this up. We are in this fictional world. If I could choose one, actually. I like the place, uh, I, I don't know if it was even named, but it was the like bar slash uh, Applebee's that men worked at. Uh, that <laughs> had a nice- Yeah, there was dollar margaritas. That's definitely an Applebee's. <laughs> it was. There was people that were way too happy there. Uh, cool. If we can go there, unless anybody has any objections. No, I'm down. Take Let's us do it. there, Garrett. Perfect. All right. Hold on to your butts. They have points? Ooh. I just found out- for pints that there's like pints which are just like you know actual volume of measurement and then there's imperial pints which are kind of considerably larger than a normal pint it comes in pints it's the best pitch i've ever heard to switch to the metric system the pints (laughs) will be bigger at your local bar that's what you need to say if you're at min's applebee's and you're looking for a pint ask for imperial because it's 20 percent larger by (laughs) wikipedia anyway as we're tucking into our drinks, by the way, what are we all drinking tonight? Water. I am yeah. drinking a four-year-old IPA I found at the back of my fridge out of a Harry Potter butterbeer mug. Does What's it I... still taste okay? It is awful. But hey, <laughs> I don't have food poisoning this episode, so I'm really testing the limits of my stomach again. Jeez, this guy's got a fucking... Last week, would you have a seven in your constitution, and now you're actually up to 16? So <laughs> Yeah, I'm back up there now. Faye, what are you throwing down? I have vodka, triple sec, sugar, and apple cider and a quarter of a lemon it looks like and a quarter of a lemon in there just to kind of add a little bit of tang um it was whatever i had left on my drink shelf this doesn't have a name you just literally poured it all together i can come up with a name for it all right guys so now that we're hanging out here in this tavern let's go ahead and talk about this episode so first of all this episode we start right where the last episode left off do we though the cold open happened first, and it was a very cold open on the side mm. of a mountain that was bad fucking ass. <laughs> we first get a little flashback. Everyone by now has seen what an Aiel looks like because of a previous episode, and we see this pregnant Aiel woman who is on the side of a mountain. She seems like she's by herself. It looks like she's trying to get away from some type of battle, but is getting pursued by a bunch of men. She is very obviously third trimester pregnant of some type. She's going into labor, and yet she's still murdering these men 
and we don't really find out why we get this scene until much later in the episode. Cut to, we are now in the ways with our group. Matt has not been able to get in. Um, There's some angst about leaving Matt behind, but finally Moraine and everyone decides that they need to get through the ways to be able to make it to their destination. They also realize that inside the ways there's something called Machin Shin, the Black Wind. And if there's any channeling, then Machin Shin would be summoned. And of course, at some point, we realize there are Trollocs inside the ways. Um, of course, uh, Egwene accidentally channels, and this brings about Machin Shin. The party runs through the ways. They try to exit through the exit into Feldara, and we again get Nynaeve being able to channel a giant burst of energy to push the Black Winds away while it's kind of chanting these scary things into their head. We get out, we're in Faldara, we meet some really cool people. They call Lan Daishin, and we're like, what is that? But Lan <laughs> does seem to have some connection to these people, and Moraine warns their leader, essentially, that Trollocs and uh, the Dark One is using the ways to move. We also get introduced to a few new characters here. We get introduced specifically to Min, who is apparently a seer, and that's actually where we're setting our episode here, of course. We're in her tavern, and Moraine uses Min to try and figure out exactly who is the dragon. She isn't able to tell her that, unfortunately, but does give us some nice foreshadowing about which each character is. We then get a little bit more into each character's background and a little bit more development into their relationships. We see a little bit more of Nynaeve and Lan, uh, not just a little bit of Lan, a lot of Lan, as well as some interesting relationships between Rand, Perrin, and Egwene, which we'll definitely talk about. And finally, the big reveal at the very end of the episode, we realize that the reason we saw this Aiel woman at the very beginning is that she actually gave birth to a child after this attack. And Rand's father was the one that then received this child and took this child back home, all revealed through Min's discussion with Rand, who finally realizes that he indeed is the dragon reborn. Yeah, wonderful. Cut to credits. Yeah, um, credits. Your drink is called... A little fay of sunshine? That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and jump in as far as the episode goes overall. Uh, I thought it was a super strong episode. There were parts that it dragged where I was like, there better be payoff for this later. In particular, I will say the thing I want to start with uh, was the cold open on the side of Dragon's Mount because it's like this is Holy a proper introduction shit. to the IU, <laughs> proper introduction to the Maidens of the Spear. And it's just watching this happen. I was like, holy like I'm not one for cheesy action scenes, but I really liked how they shot this scene where she's running and you're seeing her run up this mountain. She's clearly covered in blood. You're like, she must be running from something. My first thought was, you know, the books, the Aiel always run. Why is she so out of breath? Cut to the wide shot. She's like third trimester pregnant. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then she still takes down every motherfucker they put in her way, As which was so good. Like every yeah. five minutes, like clearly going into labor. I was like, when is she going to sit down? When is this baby going to fall I, out? Oh no, she's still killing people. Okay. What I absolutely loved about it is that the men that are trying to uh, subdue her and she's just handing their asses to them. She's just killing them left and right. She's like annoyed by them. She needs to stop and give birth and that's, they aren't slowing her down. <laughs> the, the fact that she's birthing a child is slowing her down and like the one guy who does finally, that really like bothered me is when he stabbed her. I was like, Ugh. the contractions are what like get her paused for a second. 
this was unbelievably awesome. I'm not like an action sequence junkie or anything like that, but this was wonderful flavor. Adam, as you said, it was a wonderful introduction to the Maidens of the Spear, specifically of the Aeel. When you said she's covered in blood, her weapons are covered in blood. Yeah. She's, she's a fucking there, badass. It was other people's blood. I like the fact, too, that when she's fighting, she's using everything on these people. Like, she uses the guy's cape to pull him to the ground, to stick him in the face. Yep. That cape then becomes the blanket she's going to wrap her baby in. Mm -hmm. So she's just, like, improvising as she's going. She's like, well, I guess it's okay you tried to kill me because now I get to take your cloak from you and use this for my kid. <laughs> It's a really strong cold open. It's really good foreshadowing for what we're going to get in the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I saw it, I was like, this definitely sets the tone for what I want to see this episode. And then I definitely had the feeling right after that, like, oh, shit, that might have been the last time we see Barney as Matt Cawthon. You know, they might have done some reshoots at the end and decided, like, hey, he decided not to go in. We're going to cut him out of these particular scenes. And that's that. That means they probably knew in advance he wasn't going to return for season two because those don't all seem like reshoots to me. That's what I was really wondering. Well, yeah, I don't know if they're necessarily reshoots, but uh, I think now we don't know. We're still going to speculate. But I think it is very likely that Barney had to leave the show for I don't know why. And they just wrote him out. And I don't know if they would have reshot it or, like, potentially like comped him out or edited around him or anything like that but it feels like he is that matt is going to be intentionally written out because there was a conflict with the actor and again we have no idea what that is i'm wondering also if he's like under nda to not come out and speak outwardly about it or doesn't want to speak out about it so but i didn't miss him this episode like yeah, i, I wasn't like oh where's matt where's matt like I was very much caught up in the rest of the episode and they were referencing Matt and I was like, ah, I don't care. Like everything else that's happening is so exciting. Um, and I think we, like like you said, Adam, we get this right off the bat with this scene with the IEL. And also just shout out to Rafe here. Nice job in portraying labor and like also the contractions and also the giving birth portion with like the very deep grunts of like delivery because like nobody shouts high pitched during labor, guys. It's a low grunt. <laughs> very nice, very nice detail there. This is coming from someone who delivers lots and lots of babies as a person in their profession. Adam, so please. It's like Twats and twats of babies. Twats and twats what? of babies. So many. Oh, no. <laughs> um, That's even worse. Can I uh, can I actually ask an opinion of you guys really quick? You guys fall definitely more on the line of like the book police than I do for sure. How did you guys feel about the cold open with this Aiel kicking some fucking ass, which we're all like loving? But this was never written. We never we never actually got this scene in the book, you know, for something that like that didn't happen in the book or that's what we only hear about this story. How did you guys like it being in this series? I liked this. I thought that it was really interesting because we know from the books that Rand was born from an Aiel woman. We don't really necessarily know exactly what happened. We know that she died somehow. Um, and we know that his father like found him and there's something about being born on the side of the mountain. There's always this like allusion to that. And so like having this come to life was actually really nice. I didn't feel like it was necessarily like something that was definitely not in the books. I felt like this was like, oh, this could have happened. And you know, Robert Jordan just didn't write about it. I agree. I think what it comes down to for me being the book police is that I don't like massive departures from stuff that's canon. Mm -hmm. I think the way that you can really show your worth as a director and as a writer and as a showrunner is to take the stuff that happened off page that we all know and love and expand exactly. upon it like this, like the stuff we had with Loghain. Because by the time we see Loghain, Loghain yeah, it's like you just see him for a blip in the first book and you actually got to see the shit that went down with him. I mm -hmm. think that's where you can make really strong scenes where fans like me who are like, please do stuff from the book won't be as offended. Because seeing that, I was like, I knew Rand's mom was a maiden of the spear. 
I also know Banes of the Spear are fucking badasses. <laughs> so I was like, this is super cool. This is what I want to see. And this is an original scene. And it honestly reminds me a little bit of a scene in Game of Thrones where they actually have the king, Robert Baratheon, talk to Cersei like candidly about how their marriage is the only thing keeping the kingdom together. And they sit there and they drink wine together and they admit like we don't really like each other, but we're doing this for the kingdom. And that scene was said to be the strongest scene in the entire first season by George R. R. Martin himself. And it was an original scene. And I was like, that is what I hope to see when it comes to stuff like what we saw that started this episode. Mm -hmm. It felt very Loghain getting the uh, King of Geldine on his side. Like that was also similarly awesome, but it was implied in the writing. Somebody took it and brought it to life. And therefore, just curious. Um, also, listener, you get to see a whole lot more Maidens of the Spear. If, uh, if <laughs> just the, stay tuned. Yeah, yeah just stay tuned <laughs> if the show doesn't get canceled. Uh, which doesn't seem to be likely anytime soon. Mm -hmm. They are going to have three seasons in the can by the beginning of season two because they greenlit and started on the third season before the first season even came out, which is very yeah. impressive. Amazon shows a lot of confidence in this show. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and move on to the next scene, which is where um, the characters uh, find themselves in the ways and Matt is not coming. Um, and I just wanted to see what you guys thought about the ways in general. I thought it was actually portrayed really, really well. Like, this is really what I had thought in my mind, which is like this darkness. They can't see anything. Mm -hmm. The lightning was, I think, like a little, I don't know, it was a little theatrical. But I actually really liked the way that the ways was portrayed. And I, I kind of liked the way that they, like, went through it. This is supposed to be kind of like the analog to the Mines of Moria, where, you know, anytime anybody goes underground or inside something that's dark, mm -hmm. that's, it always mm -hmm. goes back to that, which probably goes back even further to, like, Beowulf, or probably goes back to even further to, like, I don't know, fucking cuneiform on, you know, cave walls <laughs> or something. I thought this was awesome. I'm really glad they didn't spend that much time in it, because yeah. it, you know, I mean, it takes a lot to build a set <laughs> and everything like that. And I think... <laughs> If, it, if they kept on going, it would have probably looked like they were just running a small <laughs> rat maze, and, and then it would look probably kind of like American Gladiators to a certain degree, but uh, I don't know. It's I thought so it interesting cool. you said Moria, because there's this one scene where they're running away from Machinshin, and they get to this, like, narrow area mm -hmm. where they're, like, running over, and there's no, like, handrails or anything, and I was like, oh, it's the Bridge of Casa Doom. Okay, great. <laughs> oh, and then Moraine's so gonna fall down. She's gonna say, fly, you fool. Fly, you fools. Okay, so under in response to you saying that you're happy that they didn't stay in there very long, I agree. In response mm -hmm. to the interpretation of the ways, I disagree because not too much of a book police here, but I thought, like you said, the set was weird. The lightning was a weird effect to have in there. They don't really explain too much where Mosh and Shin came from or any of that, but like mm -hmm. the interpretation in the books for me would have been so much easier to do on the show because it's literally just like, it's dark. And I guarantee <laughs> you the reason they didn't do it is because if you want to know what it's like, if you're like, I don't want to fucking read, I want to read the books, here's what it is. It's called The Upside Down, and they put it in Stranger Things. That's exactly <laughs> what the ways look like, where you can barely see in front of you, uh, and everything else is dark. And they say, like, it's like the light just stops, and that's all it should have been. Like, you just see the road in front of you just barely enough, and that's it. And instead, it has this really Minds of Moria look to it, mm -hmm. just like you guys said. Very dramatic. When they finally exited it, it is also very much like Minds of Moria on film where in the books, don't they spend like a significant amount of time they being do. lost oh, yeah. in there? And in the movie, it's just like, they're in there for like, I don't know, 20, 30 <laughs> minutes. As long as it takes Gandalf to sit down and smoke his pipe. Uh, and then they get the <laughs> fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. But realistically, I didn't have too big of a problem with it. I enjoyed the time they spent uh, in there because we do get to see, one, that they're being followed. And yep. as soon as they said that, that dispelled my theory of where Matt was gonna go. And it mm -hmm. let me know, Matt is not coming back this episode. And then it got to show us a Gween protecting Rand. 
uh, to knock that Trolloc off. And I thought, okay, cool. Like, she's still not in control that, of her powers. Uh, they run away. All that stuff happens. That was such a fucking stormtrooper, like, you know, they popped out at you thing. Like, it was just like... I really one. hoped when he fell, it would have been that, like, that classic Wilhelm scream. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Which listener, that scream is right here. Yep, that's the one. Yep. I understand why they had to do that, because they had to introduce the fact that the Trollocs were using the ways, and like that's how they got to Eamon's field without anybody detecting them. So it makes sense to the plot, so I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. The one thing I wasn't okay with was Machin Shin. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of uh, Gears of War, when you have the crawl? Locusts. Locusts. I don't know. I, I don't think remember what they're called. I know what you're yeah. talking about, though. I'm sure somebody's screaming at their, uh, I don't know, headphones Listening right now. device. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was like when you when you pass, I don't give a shit about Gears of War. If you know, you know. It felt like, uh, like a swarm of locusts coming over them. I, I thought it was okay. It wasn't like the black wind. It was like the black, chunky couple of things that were <laughs> bothering them, you know? I don't know how much headcanon I actually had for what the black wind looked like, so I didn't have too much of an attachment when I saw it. I was just like, all right, that's fine. Whatever. Because I, I just always pictured it as just like something in the darkness that just causes it to become more dark. So when I saw it, the way it was interpreted, I was like, as long as it whispers fucked up shit to them, that's all I was really looking for. And I did enjoy the fact that she tells them like, just don't listen to the wind. And she doesn't really warn them very much about how fucked up it's going to get. But one thing I didn't like about this, and I'll transition this out of the minds of Mori if you all don't mind. Yeah, um, please. They open the door to get out. Okay, we already mentioned Nina Eve holds it back for a little while. Lan goes back to grab her, some foreshadowing of some physical contact later, and they get out. Oh, yeah. And what I thought when I saw that is, okay, they're being followed. It wasn't by the Trolloc. So does that mean Padden Fane is still following them? And if Padden Fane can get out of the ways, does that mean Padden Fane can channel? Because that's the only thing that can open this door, which would be quite a departure hmm. from the books. Spoiler alert. That's something for me was like, if he gets through this without assistance, hmm. like what the fuck is going on? Are they just going to make him a channeler? Are they going to go ahead and just say that someone helped him through it? Like what's going on with it? Because to this point, for the uninitiated that have never read the books or anything, at this moment, Padden Fane can channel. It's got to be. There's no way he could have gotten out of that any other way. Never thought about that. I didn't think about that either. For me, I was just like, maybe someone's helping him through it. Like, I'm not sure what's going on with it. But when he appears at that gate, the same way they did when they get out, I was like, I have so many fucking questions right now. And maybe they're going to answer them. Maybe they're not. Or maybe they're making him a f- I mean, I don't know. He might be. He might be a approximation for a f- So. Shit. Where are... <laughs> I realize that I'm a tiny little bit spoilery on that. Point of order with Pan and Fane here, too. It was pointed out to me by another listener in front of the show and patron, everybody. Check us out at patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Wheel of Time Pod. So I mentioned it in season or in the first episode that Pat and Fane has this whistling light motif that's just like cues that he's here off screen. A light motif is the the dun 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 for Jaws. We missed that his whistle was happening in Shader Logoth. So we never actually see him there, huh. but he was there, which was very fucking cool that they can implement, you know, tools this way. I clocked it in the ways here too. I mean, we did see him, but right before it happened, I'm like, oh, cool. If they don't see him, we're going to know that he was there. And then like fucking five seconds later, a lightning strike shows that he's there. Before we leave the ways, Perrin seeing a sign from the back of the group through the darkness way up ahead a little over the top, but it was nice that they had some foreshadowing about having these golden eyes, which Min talks about later on. I mean, just, just he has like keen eyesight or even 
<laughs> he has low light vision. <laughs> low light, but yeah, <laughs> dark vision. But uh, but then Rand immediately calls it out. The one thing they said in the ways that I didn't mention that I was like, really, was Perrin was defending the way of the leaf when he said like, if everyone if everyone in the world did it, the world would be a better place. I was like, fuck you. Like Perrin <laughs> never thinks this. So I just sort of let it go immediately. I was like, I'm sure they won't do Perrin dirtier in the episode, but we'll get to that. So the next thing that we get to is we get to Faldara. We um, see all these people who have like similar hairstyles to Lan, which like, by the way, is freaking hot. I think like we should just all start doing our hairstyles that way. Can we just like shave the sides of our head and like do a little butt at the top? Yeah. You got to get Adam, the braided Garrett, cord around this? the forehead too. <laughs> oh, I'm, I mean, like that's easy, but you just got to like shave the head on the side. I'm just anyway. going gonna, gonna to have an eye patch like that one guy did right off the bat. <laughs> Speaking of the guy with the eye patch, he was the one that addressed Lan as Daishin, which, um, you know, we get a little bit more significance later on in the show um, and we kind of like get the sense and we realize that like Lan has some kinship to these people in the borderlands um, because we understand that uh, where we're going Faldara is in Shinar it's like the basically like furthest north before we get into the blight um, which they don't super explain well in the show but I feel like it, it's really interesting because there's like lots of references about how they have to like keep the blight at bay I think we can dive a little bit into Min as well who I think is Oh my gosh, so hot <laughs> and such an interesting character. So I think the best place to start in Faldara is uh, obviously the bar that we're in right now. I mean, Min just came and served us another round. It's very nice of her. I tried to ask her to tell me my fortune. She told me to get fucked. So she, <laughs> I don't is know. Is that your fortune? Are you getting lucky tonight, actually? Oh man, that'd be nice, right? Um, <laughs> Am I right, everybody? No, she. Uh, if that would have been the case. She would have been like, "Oh, you're going to bed at 9 p.m." It's like <laughs> I'm 36. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I enjoyed the fact that they finally worked men into the show. I've been wondering where they're going to do it. It's a very similar setting to the way it was in the book, where it's kind of this like rundown bar that they run into her at. Uh, it has like more of a backstory that they didn't really get into, which I'm okay with. And then they show you kind of. Her purpose in the books is very similar to her purpose in the show. They call her a seer. They don't really lay down a lot of the rules for what she's seeing. I don't really want to spoil them too much, but it is similar to what she sees in the books, although I think it's a bit more abstract. I was kind of okay with it. She sees like these different visions of each of the, the party members, including one of Rand holding a baby, mm -hmm. which I thought was weird. Like, is he just going to randomly see a baby later on, like season two, be like, hey, everyone, look, a baby, and then set it down, <laughs> and Men's going to be like, ah, oh, that's what it was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was wondering when we had that scene, I was like, okay, cool. They finally introduced her. She's such a great character. Like Faye said, I'm not going to try and objectify her too much, but damn, yeah. like she foined. <laughs> So it was nice to finally get her on the show. Yeah, she's a good looking woman. And uh, furthermore, it, you know, she's another barkeep kind of character, which the last one that we had, which was also a female, which was also charismatic, turned out to be a dark friend. So we have this weird dichotomy here. Maybe not dichotomy, but we have this weird like parallelism here that Moraine knows and trusts this person. So we know that she's going to be a good, a good person. I don't know. It's, it's interesting the way that she fits in. Her visions... I thought that looked interesting. Seeing like Rand stand up with like holding a baby, it was a cool effect that they put together for it to like do a vision. But then they also, I don't know if you guys caught this, but they also were like, oh, and the, the ladies, we see like a golden circle or whatever, but they didn't show who that was yeah, around. Yeah, they, they mm -hmm. deliberately right. left that out. Mm -hmm. which, which, you know, that's a cool touch, you know. Um, I don't know if that's another red herring, which is going to be like our swear word on this show, but... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Every time you hear red herring, drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go back to listen to episode six of ours, and every time you hear the word red herring, you drink, and you, we will talk to you in the hospital the next day. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll pay for Seriously. your funeral costs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been dancing around this all episode since the very beginning when I introduced the character, but obviously today's Who's Hot on Twat? Is Min. I mean, obviously she's very, very attractive. I saw her come on the screen, and I was like, damn. <laughs> Yes, please serve me a drink. I will tip you whatever amount of money. <laughs> She's very important to the show here. She is telling us a lot of these interesting things. She's the person that, like, Moraine is hoping going to be able to tell her who the dragon reborn is. And we very quickly learn that that is not how Min's abilities work. She cannot tell you, like, oh, yes, tomorrow you're going to, like, you know, run into the love of your life or whatever. She just kind of sees whatever the pattern shows her. And she can't really interpret it very well either which is very important in the show. And I think, you know, Adam, you've told me this because I haven't finished all the books yet, but every single one of Min's, like, visions potentially at some point comes true in one way or another. And it's not in the ways that we necessarily, like, think they're going to happen. Mostly I just wanted to highlight how hot this actress was um, with my Who's Hot on Twat. But yeah, she's an important character too. Yay, of course. Yes, female empowerment. But she's so hot. <laughs> anyway, and that is... Who's hot on twat? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take out that creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, that was awesome. Thanks, Faye. So once we leave the bar, uh, I found it very interesting that we get to see, and I'm just gonna go over this really briefly. Uh, a little bit of the Moraine working behind the scene thing again, which I really enjoyed from episode six. I know everyone else kind of thought it was a little bit boring. Um, but she's talking to this uh, sister, to Lord Agomar, uh, who is, you know, someone who can channel, and she doesn't have her full Aes Sedai ring. Uh, I think what you're going to see in this universe is that if they don't have the color in the ring, that means that they're just accepted, and they're, they're dismissed from the tower or something along those lines, because you see her turn on the lamps with the fire and all that stuff. And they kind of have this quick conversation, but she says, I need you to get a message to the tower. They need to find a boy named Matt Cawthon. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, so they're going to figure out how to wrap up Matt's storyline off screen. And she says, who, do, who should I send this message to? And she says, the Red Aja. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, this is kind of cool. Like, this is unseen territory. I didn't expect it. And when I thought about it, I was like, all right, props to Rafe. I kind of like this. Moraine working with the Reds, like, that is completely fucking unexpected. But... He had a situation he had to deal with, and he's like, oh, you're going to leave my show early, huh? We're going to write you <laughs> off, and you're going to get red Ajad. Fuck you. So, I thought it was super interesting the way they decided to handle it. This was probably, like, the second time I screamed at this episode, but I, like, screamed definitely a lot at a lot of points here. Let me let me kick it off though because I've got some non. I've got some. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Here's so some non. I have some non, good stuff. I fucking love non, man. I, you know what? About once a week now, I think about those those little food bowls that the traveling people are eating, and I'm like, that was really good. We didn't <laughs> talk about it uh, that much, but when Perrin and Rand were just talking like pals do, which is they put it in here to show how close they were because they're gonna have a fight later on. But it was like they don't eat chicken or even beef. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he tells them like, where the leaf? Blah blah blah. He's like. Yeah. But fish? fish. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line. <laughs> Moving through Faldara, this isn't Lan's hometown or homeland, but this is close enough to it that um, he's a well-respected individual here. And 
the end of the, I think it was maybe episode five where they did the funeral stuff, there was this gorgeous, gorgeous song that played throughout the end credits. Whenever Land and the Warders were just pounding their chests, that this like very somber but beautiful choral theme was playing through it. That came back a lot in this episode. I realize now that that was probably titled, quote, Land's theme or the theme where Land has sex with Nynaeve or something like that, but the <laughs> that was popping up a lot in his homeland here. And also, I still like it a lot. It's a beautiful track. And if you guys were, if, if anybody else was paying attention to it, you got a lot through uh, this episode with that. Faye, talk about the creepiness of how she followed him. <laughs> it was a little bit creepy. Yeah. I mean, we get the sense that this is not Land's, you know, hometown, but he has a lot of kinship with the, these people here. And you see him kind of get this really, like, nice, almost like Christmas carol, like, scene where he's getting together with these people that you assume might be his family members, and he's, like, getting dinner and things like that. And you see Nynaeve kind of, like, aww, like, sees him with these people. You get a sense that, you know, she likes him, and she wants to see these softer sides of him. And then there's this really weird transition, I guess, where he, like, all of a sudden is in the scene. Yeah, what the and fuck? Then, <laughs> he's like behind her. <laughs> Which I thought I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is she like, is she like hallucinating? Yeah. She thought she saw these things and now like lands actually like behind her. The note that I wrote down there was what? <laughs> as I, as I saw this, I went back and, and watched it after, after my, my thing to see. I'm like, how much time elapsed for her to like look away? I thought that was like some weird teleportation or like does he have like a like some sort of like Aes Sedai spell like up his sleeve that he can just like fire off at will or or you know if you look really closely during the scene he puts a time turner back into his pocket (laughs) and I was like ah it makes sense now yeah but then I was also like yeah the hallucination is there like a a body double that he's like like playing like I thought of every stupid thing that possibly could have happened that would not be canon in the show except for oh he just moved really fast out the door and was just like oh, I got the drop on you which oh that was fucking dumb guys I did not yeah it was, was like you, it yeah. was just poor editing and I get yeah. the idea behind it. it's like oh all of a sudden he's behind her it's like the the pace with which this moved mm-hmm. where he was just like all of a sudden behind her compared to the pace that their scenes together moved yeah were polar opposites because I wrote down like this better have a payoff because this is slow as fuck with like 19 U's and I hit a U every 10 seconds I was waiting for something to happen. <laughs> I mean, aside from this whole like Al Lan, Hermione, Mandra Granger kind of thing. Um, nice. Jesus. <laughs> I thought that this scene was really cute. There were like so many times where like he brings Nynaeve in and I'm like, oh, he's bringing the girl home. And then like, you know, the guy's like, oh, she's beautiful. I'm like, yes, she is. And he goes, oh, I've hardly noticed. <laughs> hmm. Um, and the whole time I was like, all right, he brought the girl home. You know what the next scene's going to be. They're going to bang. And then it kept like dragging on and on. And at this point, I was like screaming every three seconds because I thought that they were going to make out. But then they kept not making out. Like they just kept dragging it on and on. I know that this is not like technically in the books either. Like we never see like a consummation of their relationship. But I kind of liked it. Yeah, I didn't not like it. As Adam said, it was like it was going really slow. And then it finally we got some payoff in there. The one comment that I had that I did appreciate is that Lan is an honorable man. And, you know, I I think they did him justice in book flavor that you don't get here is he's like, I'm a loner, Dottie. I'm a rebel. Like, you you don't want any part of me. I'm a bad guy. He actually tries to drive Nynaeve away a little bit by him leaving her in the hallway, just saying very gentlemanly, good night. 
I screamed, by the way. I was like, really? We're not going to do this? The fact that he did not invite her in, but she actually still then made the move, which the show put the ball in Nynaeve's court, I thought that was a very tasteful way of doing it, too. There was, like, not a remote question that Lan was doing anything inappropriate. So I'm going to go ahead and have to take my part of this over here at camera two. Yeah, it's really going to (laughs) get sexy on this one. So, for this week's What the Fuck Rafe, we have to talk about this scene between Nina Eve and Lan. And I'm not going to use it to shit all over you, Rafe. I know you're sitting there and you're getting your tarp ready because you're used to this by now. <laughs> it's the splash zone. <laughs> it's the splash zone. This is like a Gallagher show. But no, actually, I unbuckled my pants for a different reason this oh, week. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing to me here, man? I got to edit all around on this. I know we have an explicit tag, but Jesus. I want to say one thing in particular. We have mentioned multiple times, and there are a lot of things I have complained about on this show about Wheel of Time, the show. We have mentioned repeatedly that Robert Jordan does not know how to write romance. And when I make mention of the fact that it's handled better on the show than in the books multiple times, I have to give you credit because when he told her, hey, good night, and she came in, it gave her agency, she made the choice, he was shirtless, all good things. And the fact that they decided to be together also leads us to the fact that he didn't notice Moraine blocked the bond. So we have the precedent set last episode for Moraine to get her thing on. And then when she realized like, oh shit, Lan's getting some, which she kind of hinted at and pushed him out the door to go to Nine Eve. Then she blocks the bond. He doesn't notice. And I thought this scene was handled really, really well. And I appreciated it. But the one thing, Rafe, the one thing that really bothered me is when she tried to sneak out and probably leave like a five on the dresser or something like that. Say thanks for a good time. (laughs) He didn't have his band on anymore. And you know that dude fucks with that headband on. (laughs) Guaranteed. That was the only problem that I had with this There's two things Lan keeps on when he fucks. is his headband and his Crocs. If I was naive, (laughs) I would require him to keep that headband on. The Crocs is the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, And I want to say one more thing, too, is I've said that we have over-sexualized way too much about the water Aes Sedai bond and it's finally we get this sexual relationship that built slowly everyone was able to ship them everyone wanted this to happen and we got to it and that's how you do it properly rather than just constantly making references to like oh yeah sexual relationship with my Aes Sedai it's like no these two people fell in love on screen and I think we all felt it and it worked way better than it did in the book so good job what the fuck Reef? Okay, uh, speaking of relationships, I'm going to kick this one off. What the fuck? I am so not interested in the fact that there is a little bit of a love triangle between Perrin, Egwene, and Rand. And Faye, giving you props, you caught in episode one that um, Perrin's dead wife, whatever her fucking name is, Layla. Layla. Why would she be pissed off and didn't go to the women's circle accepting of Egwene here? She knew that Perrin has at least some uh, hidden and guarded feelings for Egwene, and that came out, in my opinion, kind of unnecessarily in this scene here. Why? This could be setting up some sort of conflict in the future, which after you planted that idea in my head on the first episode, we see a little bit more with Aram in the traveling people that Perrin might be getting jealous, but we also can kind of read it as him closing in on himself because he's, you know, he's grieving his actions and the loss of his wife. It it came out into the light and I did not like the way that it looked. And I don't necessarily know why 
we have it here. This was an episode that didn't necessarily need conflict in the first place. Maybe this was just a wild rewrite that they threw in to take the fucking six minutes away that Matt Cawthon should have been in this scene. <laughs> but I don't know. So, somebody, somebody save me from it because I'm just, I'm going to puke. No, I agree with you, Garrett. I mean, I feel like this scene was just so unnecessary. And we get kind of like that whole like Perrin and Rand like head to head scene where they're just like like mad at each other. And then like Rand kind of just storms off and goes to like shoot his arrows. I wonder if this was just supposed to be like the scene where we see Rand get super angry and he's by himself and he's brooding and he's thinking about it. And then he finally like comes to the big reveal conclusion because he's able to be by himself. Like, I really was trying to figure out what is the purpose of this scene. I got to say, this is the worst part of the episode. I agree. And the thing that bothers me the most is twofold. One, this scene should be them deciding whether or not they are close enough to each other to sacrifice themselves to make mm-hmm. sure the right thing gets done. You know, one of us is the dragon. We need to make sure we're all there and we're all going to die for each other. It could have been such a stronger scene if that was the purpose of it. And then it turns into this weird love triangle. And the worst part about it is... I had a feeling that they were going to try and make it so that there was some form of love triangle this season. Figured it was going to be Moraine, Nina Eve, and Lan. Very yeah. quickly, they made it so that Moraine and Lan, you know, were not a thing. They were just close to one another. I was like, okay, cool. Now all of a sudden, you fucking shoehorn it in. It, I like, even for someone who is only familiar with the show, I feel like this has got to come off as forced. None of the scenes between Perrin and Egwene up to this point felt like super romantic. He just felt like he was a good dude trying to protect her. And all of a sudden he was in love with her more than his wife. He proposed to his wife the day that Rand and Egwene got together. I was just like, this is some baffling bullshit falling out of these characters' mouths right now. And the worst part is you can decide to write in a crappy love triangle without giving him a dead wife. <laughs> like that was the worst part for me is like, if you were going to make this leap and decide to have a love triangle, it would have worked better without him having a dead wife. Unless, like, they're going to reveal, like, his guilt isn't that she's dead. His guilt is that he doesn't feel that bad about it. In which case, I don't think I fucking like Perrin that much anymore. Yeah. Because it's just such a fucking departure from, like, everything I know and love about that character. A couple episodes ago, you were talking about how you really wish they would expedite Perrin's coolness. And on this read-through that I'm doing again with the series, like, I don't know, maybe it's my age that changed or something like that. But I feel gravitating more towards Perrin a lot more than I have in past. And seeing him in the show like this... It, it fucking sucks. You said you, again, wanted to, wanted them to expedite his coolness because right now they're not doing the character himself justice. They might turn it around. We will see. Maybe this is kind of like what I said at the end of last episode. You got to bring us down before they, they pull us back up to show us the, how high that we can go. Hopefully that fucking happens. Let's not dwell too long on it because like Faye alluded to, we're about to get the big reveal of the episode. Rand mm-hmm. goes and he's by himself. And <laughs> my this is my favorite fucking scene of the entire series so far. It's like Rand brooding. He can't quite hit his target. You can tell he's just super upset. Egwene comes out. He finally tells her, you have to go to the White Tower. You know, it's something you have to do. You saw that you can't control your channeling. He's letting her go. It's a heartfelt scene. She walks away. And then we get the real big reveal is that 
all those scenes I was pissed out about them cutting off, one of the biggest ones is that at the beginning of the story, Rand and Tam are at home, their door gets burst open to, and I always reference this as the time in the books, like this is things take off. Uh, Tam pulls out this sword that Rand didn't even know he has, and he defends him. He gets stuck by one of these Trollocs uh, with one of these, like, accursed blades, which, again, is very Lord of the Rings. Uh, and because of that, he has these side effects while Rand is dragging him to the town, which we don't see. You know, it's cut to it's him getting him out of the door, cut to him arriving in the town, and we finally get to see the things that happened during that journey, which we absolutely got in the books. As he was trying to get him to Eamon's field, he starts talking about his past and how he found this baby. He had to take the baby with him. And it's like he's talking to who Rand thought was his mother about his actual lineage. And in this scene, you realize Rand has heard this and he has internalized this and not shared it with anyone, including the viewer for the entire season. Yep. And I was like, God damn it, that works. That works so well. I was yeah. going to put it in what the fuck, Rafe, but it's like I don't even want to joke about how well that worked because he finally has all these realizations where he's adding all these pieces together. He knows it's going to be him. He admits to himself that he knocked on that door using the power that was his first channeling. And it hit me that we were watching that scene through the dark friend's eyes because she walks into the room. The camera follows her. She sees everything happen. So she would never see him channel because she can't channel. She's not a male mm -hmm. channeler. When we see it through Rand's remembering it, he channels and he admits to himself he did. And then we see Aguin didn't protect him in the ways he protected her through channeling. That was fucking great. That That, that is amazing. A, guys, red herring, that was cool. I was like, this is how you red herring. Thank you. <laughs> like, you didn't need this many of them, but I am super <laughs> fucking happy with how it turned out. And Garrett, I think in our group chat message, like, this show is fucking amazing. And I was like, yep. I think he might have just gotten to this part because I was <laughs> so happy with it. And then he goes to see Min and he's like this vulnerable, fucked up person. Like, tell me I'm not the Dragon Reborn. Like, who says that? And Min just takes it all in stride, like, whatever, asshole, let's get a drink together. And then she serves as an exposition piece where she sits down and tells him shit. There's no way she could have known unless she was like a seer, which is why they kind of like deviated from some of her rules from the books. So she can just give Rand all the exposition he needs to come to the admission. He is the Dragon Reborn. The end of this episode, I was so fucking happy. I agree. I totally agree. I think like one of the things that I was actually really interested by was right after this like very immature fighting scene, we see Rand brooding. And then I really loved this like very mature scene between him and Egwene because I feel like every single like, you know, romance movie that you see is miscommunication, right? Because like the two characters never talk to each other. But he talks to Egwene and he tells her like, hey, like you should go to the White Tower. You need to become an Aes Sedai and I'll be your warder. Um, and then, like, there's all, like, you realize how mature Rand actually is. We never, like, get to dive into his psyche until this very point. And I was, I, I was, like, like you said, I loved all the callbacks to all the old episodes. Because, like, it was, like, this episode synced everything together. And it brought all those things that we thought were a little suspicious. Because, remember, I think, like, we had said, we're, like, okay, hold on. This lady totally said that three men your size couldn't break down this door. And Rand just broke down this door. And we kind of take all these things that we were like, kind of like, hey, this is weird, and like, like synthesized it all together. This is also the first time that we kind of get an idea of like the gravity. He understands he's the dragon, and then he asks Min, "Do I come out of the eye of the world alive?" And she just gets up and walks away. He goes, "Yeah, I didn't think so either." And yeah. he has a certain resolve and uh, resignation about him at that point that he's like, "You know what? I gotta go do what I gotta go do." And you know what's awesome about this is the next thing he does is he goes and fires more arrows mm -hmm. and he's hitting dead center. And okay. I loved it because it's like Top Gun montage scene. He has accepted who he is. 
and like these are his abilities. He is who he is. He gets to move forward now. And then he knocks on Moraine's door and tells her it's me. And he does that knowing they'll leave everyone behind because he's trying to save their lives. And I think the other thing that they don't point out is like Moraine's probably going to fucking die. Like when she tells them like you guys are all going to die if you go with them. Like what the fuck makes you think she's going to survive standing between the dragon reborn and the dark one in their battle. And like they don't think about that at any point. And as soon as she hears it she masks the bond while Lan's getting some. And it's like let's go. She keeps saying whoever goes there is going to die. And she omits the fact that she's like I'm going to take you there. And I'm not the dragon. I'm going to die. Which is just, you know, another one of those dutiful things that she's doing and she and she doesn't need to like brag about it. I will rewatch this episode many, many times. I'll probably fast forward some parts, but yeah. it was excellent. <laughs> I want to get your guys' take on one thing though, because when they yeah. depart and they show you Moraine and Rand walking towards the blight, this is book police stuff here, but when they enter the blight and they leave Faldara, it slowly starts getting more decaying and more nasty the further north they go and they start realizing like, oh, we're on the outskirts of the blight, we're getting further into the blight. Things get like meaner and grosser and all the foliage starts to have this weird twist to it. When it comes to the show, it's like, it's dirt. <laughs> and then it's like bramble bushes from hell <laughs> where it's like the blight literally has a border. When they say they fight it back, it's figuratively in the books. It's gotta be literal in the show like they're keeping that shit from like creeping over the mountains and like taking over their town yeah it was very um 80s fantasy movie stuff and i'm thinking like dark crystal uh never ending story um give me another one jesus christ i can't think of it top gun yep top gun <laughs> well now that you say that Gary, i just i wonder if that's like intentional right because like i mean the the eye of the world like the book came out in 1990 mm-hmm. so it was oh, written in the shit. late 80s i don't know yeah you're right this like predates hook and that's what, <laughs> that's what i should also get. point out one thing i sincerely hope they cut out because they did it in the books is the first time they enter the blight in the books and this is spoilers you can beep this if you want garrett there's a sandworm that's referenced and they mention that it's huge and it can swallow whole armies. They never say that shit again. <laughs> Literally ever. And I was just like, I swear to God, if they work this in, everyone who likes Dune is going to be like, fuck this show. So it's like, please leave that part out. I hated that part so much in the books. I feel like at this point, Robert Jordan had just read Dune and he was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to include that too. Yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we already got the flavor that we all felt on there, but man, I thought this was a fucking awesome episode. I thought it started great, and then I remember texting the group chat being like, I fucking hate this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and the gif of the dog and like the house that's like covered in fire being like, it's fine. Yeah. And then I'd be like, never mind, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> so that's how I felt. I started uh, out loving it, the middle dipped a bit, and then I ended really, really loving it. Favorite episode of the season so far. I don't agreed. know what's to come for episode eight, but I'm very excited. I have to say something, and it's kind of funny. I have a bunch of bullshit accounts I follow on Twitter, and I really like following people who haven't read the books because they're very enthusiastic about the show, and that helps inform me, like, don't be the book police too much because I don't want to ruin an experience for someone yeah, else. of course. That's, uh, what, that's what I'm always trying to do with this show, too. There are fan theories from people who have only watched the show, and I love reading them, and my favorite one that I read is like, hey... Maybe the destiny of the dragon is he's the one male channeler who won't go insane. And I saw that, and the first comment was a Game of Thrones gift where it says, Oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> I was just like, Oh my God. I love fan theories from folks who have not read the books yet because either they're dead on them, like this person gets it, 
are they so optimistic? I'm just like, oh, you poor, poor bastard. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't know what's coming. All right, we did it. We did season one, episode seven. And that means next week when you hear us, it's going to be fucking the day after Christmas for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, happy holidays to you. But that's going to be the end of the season. We have some other things that we're going to be doing, which we'll announce then. But uh, speaking of, if you wanted to follow us any further or if you're interested in seeing things that Faye tweets and then I retweet what <laughs> Faye does, uh, you can check us out at a couple of handles here. You can check us out at the website wheeloftimepodcast.com or you can type in twatsatwats.com or the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com if you really like typing stuff. Uh, our Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all at Wheel of Time Pod, so feel free to follow us there. We haven't ticked too many talks. In fact, I don't think I put up one yet, but I swear to God I'm going to do it. Uh, so either way, please follow us there. All of our episodes are announced there. And then additional content, like Garrett had just mentioned, when those announcements go live, will be on our social medias and website as well. And we love to hear from you about all your fan theories, as well as what you liked and didn't like from the Will of Time show. So go ahead and contact us on our website. You can find us there under Contact Us. You can also find out a little bit more about all of us with our beautiful faces. <laughs> Speaking of Contact Us, uh, we were talking about it in the interim about how we should probably do a uh, not like a mailbag episode or mailbag. whatever. <laughs> I just wanted to yell it. <laughs> <laughs> Write in if you want us to talk about something because we might have an episode where we collect everything and just kind of go through and go, well, what do you guys think about this specifically? How did this uh, differ or diverge from the story? Whatever the case may be, we might put some content together that utilizes it. Fan-driven content is always fun stuff to do. I think we did it, guys. So, listener, thank you for being here. You have an hour to give, and you gave it to us, and we appreciate that. So, we love you, and mayoclinic.org recommends an adult's daily fluid intake should be 11.5 to 15.5 cups or 2.7 to 3.7 liters. Oh, damn. I just ate that much goldfish. Oh, no. <laughs> why, why was that the sign-off?